Welcome to the Supremely Intercontinental Puckcast, a podcast about fake little hockey guys. I'm your host, Ian Constable, GM of the Banff Rockies. Nerd! On today's podcast, Kazim Hussein, GM of the Montreal Millionaires, and I will chat. And later on, Gary Graves, GM of the Boston Colonials, and I will try to learn all about scouting from Will Scouch, the host and creator of Scouching. Let's get started with Kazim Hussein, GM of the Montreal Millionaires. Welcome to television's unchallenged authority on wealth, prestige, and success. It's another dazzling lifestyles of the rich and famous. The Montreal Millionaires. Kazem, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Ian. It's good to be here. I'm really excited to have you on the show. I have to say that when I came into the league uh, three years ago, I looked at your team and I said, that's the team I want. That's exactly what I want to do. And so I, I have to say, I have I, I really uh, tried to model my uh, my build after what I saw you doing. So uh, it's a real pleasure for me to have you on the show today. Uh, and I'd like to get started here. Uh, we had lots of questions from GMs from around the league. You may hear some people's dis- distinct voices in the in some of these questions. Uh, I think I will. <laughs> <laughs> but let's just start. Let's just fire away and, and get started here. Uh, sure. First off, where are you from? And uh, where are you from? And where are you living now? I, I've heard that I've heard that you've moved around a little bit. Um, I'll yeah, just you... yeah. Um, well, I'm from Victoria, BC, originally. That's where I was born and raised. And um, <clears throat> but I, I think for a while, well, when I started in the league, I was in Vancouver, and I was still a student. Um, I moved out to Hamilton, Ontario, in 2010. I sort of lived between there and Toronto for about seven years of my eight-year PhD. <laughs> um, and yeah, then uh, I moved back actually just the fall after the summit um, to Vancouver because um, um, I had I was going to have a, a kid. Um, my, my wife was pregnant and we wanted to be closer to family. And so, yeah, it was uh, it made a lot of sense to move back. Um, so, yeah, that's I've been back in Vancouver since uh, fall of 2017. Okay, I remember that was big news at the summit. There was a lot of excitement around uh, around the Vancouver guys uh, that you were going to be moving to Vancouver. So I do recall that from the summit. That's yeah, yeah. that's great. It's nice to be back close to home, right? Totally. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things I miss about Ontario, and actually, um, <laughs> I'm thinking forward to next year's summit. We'd hoped to make a trip back out to Ontario last summer, but um, like many people our plans have changed um so yeah um it looks like that's gonna be when we get to do another big trip out east so yeah um i'm i'm torn there's a lot of great places in this country as we all know so Mm -hmm. yeah excellent okay uh well this one i think you'll you'll probably uh you'll probably be able to hear the voice of who it comes from but what is your uh, favorite collective arts beer 
<laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm really into their goza. Um, I think there's a little bit of black pepper they throw in there. That's just like, ah, oh, that's so perfect. Um, but I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to make a kind of controversial statement here. And that is that I, I found it really hilarious when I moved to Ontario in 2010 and everyone was like really excited about all their craft breweries. Cause BC I already knew was like, it was pretty far ahead. Um, and so once breweries like Collective Arts sort of started up in Ontario, I was really excited because um, that, that happened all while I was doing my PhD. So I feel like, you know, the beer culture there has really taken off. And that's one of the cool things about, um, yeah, being out there. And it's something that I miss now. But, you know, you move back to BC and it's just unbelievable. Like I, I, uh, if I was trying to keep up, I would have a drinking problem. So, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Yeah. laughs> oh, when did when did you start following hockey, and uh, what made you interested in the sport? Did you ever play? Uh, if you did play, do you do you still play? Um, so I got into hockey when my cousin lent me NHL '98. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, it was kind of like a, it was kind of a, and everything happened at once, I guess, with my interest in being a fan, because I got the video game at the same time as I started um, watching the game more with Henry and Eric um, when we were friends, um, and going to elementary school together. I think we were just leaving elementary school um, and headed for high school. We were like 13. Um, but yeah, I never played. Um, as you probably know, Victoria is not a place that um, is known exactly for winter sports. There's plenty of great <laughs> hockey players from there, but it's not like you're learning to skate on a backyard rink when you know most of my Christmas, childhood Christmases were green. So. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, 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 I kind of wish I knew more about it, but yeah, most of my hockey playing up was, um, with a ball in PE class. So, <laughs> okay. Uh, so you are a fan of, um, of a team that is in the other league, a team that is named after rich people who decide their future by appointment. I won't say, <laughs> won't, won't get specific or anything, but, um, when when did you become a fan of that team in that other league? Okay, so yeah, it was as we're talking about the Naho, um, yeah. <laughs> I will. Uh, yes, it was. I mean, that was kind of the funny thing about being interested in hockey through Eric and Henry because they were not fans of the Vancouver Canucks either. Henry is a Pens fan. Uh, Eric is an abs fan and i was kind of like well i don't have to be wedded to vancouver you know like i i don't live there <laughs> it's just the clear closest place so yeah i i was kind of into picking a canadian team that seemed to be on the up and up and you know it's hard to become a fan of the vancouver canucks in the messier years i have <laughs> i i i understand the feelings about messier and vancouver um yeah, the first game I went to, the first NHL Nahal game I went to, um, 
Ottawa beat uh, Vancouver 2-1, and GM place was pretty empty. It was pretty sad to see. Um, yeah, most people were leaving the game already. It was a very different vibe. So, yeah, I was I was into the team with Alfredson and Spezza and Heatley. Like, they were really fun to watch. Maybe I'd try and model my uh, SICHL team a little after those guys. Okay, well, uh, pretty great players there. Where Was Hosa a young player at that point, or just starting out with them? Or Yeah, um, he was. He was an yeah, up-and-coming okay. guy. Oh, yeah. I was a big fan of his. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. And Martin Havlat, too. Uh, right. So many good players. Yeah. Yeah, and, and then they went to the Cup right, right away, so um with, with when they were really young right so yeah absolutely well, a good a good one to choose a good group to choose and and um uh, that's that that's a totally different perspective than i had uh, growing up i grew up in a city that had a team um and so you know uh you just got right on with that team if you were actually li- living in that city so i never really thought of that if you're living in a city that doesn't have a team do you have to pick the closest team or can you pick anywhere? And of course, nobody that lives in a city that has has a team has to pick that team. But um, yeah, yeah, I think a big part of it, too, is when you're a kid, you know, like Eric, I remember, was always a big fan of Patrick Waugh. Right? right. And so I think he followed their fandom. I'm speaking for him here. I don't think you've interviewed him as a GM, but, you know, it seemed like he sort of followed him to the abs right and then became a fan of theirs so i feel like when you're a kid you're often like more into the players than the the team mm-hmm. anyway so yeah, yeah I, I was into you know good players i guess <laughs> yeah. all right do you do you play any other fantasy sports uh do you play a fantasy hockey league uh do you play any fantasy football anything like that uh not really i i for a while i've I did some Yahoo leagues when I had a little more time on my hands, um, mm-hmm. so the sort of day-to-day stuff, but um, I I just couldn't keep up with it. I tried again like one year, maybe like three, four years ago, and I, I just couldn't hold my attention. <laughs> like, yeah, it's the SICHL is such a big commitment already for me, I feel like. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to split my interests, but... Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm also not really that into other sports that have big fantasy profiles. I guess my other love is cricket. Uh, like Henry Ski, we used to play together growing up. So yeah, I don't know that there's a lot of fantasy cricket out there. You can play, you can play games based on cricket actually with like a pencil and and paper actually, which is really fun. But. <laughs> I didn't know that. That's that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, anyway. so how did you find your way into the SICHL then? So my connection was obviously um, Henry and Eric. Um, I think Henry found his way in maybe just before Eric through being friends with Matt McInnes, and they got into it, and they were like, "You got to get into this league." <laughs> um, so yeah, it was. It was really fun um, being introduced through them. Um, Eric and I did our, we did our undergrads together at UBC. So I got in, um, I think, just towards the end of that time. So. Okay. Well, those are good friends then getting you into this league for sure. Yep. 
So you, sure. Henry, and Eric go go back a long time. Then they'll go back a long way. Is there anything interesting you can tell us about growing up with them? Maybe some dark hidden secrets, perhaps some weak spots that uh, other GMs may be able to exploit these GMs? Well, I, I sort of wonder if like one of them maybe asked this question. I don't know, because it's kind of funny how Eric and I became friends. Um, Hen- Henry and I go like crazy far back. Like we were, my first ever sleepover was at Henry's house. I was seven years old. We slept in a tent outside and it there was a thunderstorm. It was, you know, kind of classic childhood experience. Um, but yeah, we, we've been friends for a long time. And then Eric was kind of, um, his dad was a teacher at our school and he, he came. So we knew his dad and then Eric was going to be like this fancy teacher's son who came to join our, our class when we were, um, I think he came in grade five and I was, con- I think everyone really wanted to be friends with him because we liked his dad. He's, he's a music teacher. He's a great guy. Um, still, still know his dad and have, he was one of, one of our best teachers growing up for sure. Um, but, uh, I think there was, I don't know, there was some kind of weird tension that first year because we did not like each other and to the point where I have never, I have never been in a physical fight before this, but I, Eric and I had a fight, <laughs> um, like punches thrown and everything. I'm not really sure who won. Um, but the first year he was at our school, I don't know, there was some kind of pent up, <laughs> masculine something it was all an all boys school too that we went to so yeah um but we we became friends the year after when we were all in his dad's class <laughs> um so yeah i don't know about if i have any uh weak spots i can point to in either of those guys i mean <sighs> you know i mean how can you argue with the champ and eric and i think you know, Henry's Henry's no slouch at this league. He's been able to figure out, I think, some decent paths towards. I mean, he's been into two cup finals. Like that's right. That's more than I can claim. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and he's uh, his team is on its way back, uh, back up to greatness again. He's got a lot of great young talent on that team as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, so, I mean, we can take from that if you're if you're having issues with Eric uh, in the league right now, just give it a year and uh, you're going to be the best of friends. So that's good. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Eric, Eric, you know, he, he gets over stuff, too. So if you uh, skunk him in a trade or <laughs> whatever, I'm sure he'll come back again. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so what's your biggest SICHL regret and why is it shamelessly ripping off the Norsemen? by calling your original Oslo franchise the Vikings. Yeah, I'm No I'm idea. Glad I, I, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, well, I'm pretty sure that I got three choices of name. Um, so the Oslo Vikings were my least thought through name choice. I really wanted to be the St. Petersburg Barbarians. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was the year um, that they did the dispersal draft from the uh, Montreal Les Dragons de Montréal, right? Um, so the, I mean, just absolute epic um, franchise um, 
that was dispersed into, I think, four teams, I believe. It was me and the Moscow Reds and the uh, Miami Makos. So I guess Moscow got the Russian team and I got stuck with Oslo. I can't remember what my other choice was, but it wasn't my first choice, Matt. My actual biggest SICHL regret? Well, I mean, obviously, I um, quit the league because <laughs> I was too busy with my PhD. Um, but I regretted it so much that I begged to be let back in. And <laughs> I was really <laughs> lucky that um, Mark uh, and Mike were willing to have me back. <laughs> um, it was a really different challenge. I mean, I sort of you know, I inherited a stupidly good team in the Vikings. Like, you know, I I have regrets about that dispersal draft still because somehow I managed to pick the wrong set of draft picks. I would have had an extra first rounder for four years and I didn't pick that for some stupid okay. reason. <laughs> but I still got a Vechkin and uh, uh, Michael can thank me for that. <laughs> of my former franchise <laughs> okay so michael so the monarchs actually came from from your team the oslo vikings is that correct yes and okay. i you you don't have to i i'm i i won't say any of my opinions on michael's deals <laughs> <laughs> all right all right okay so now you are the millionaires what was your main motivation behind the millionaire's name is it just a tribute to the Vancouver millionaires or is there a subversive, ironic jab at the bourgeoisie? Well, um, if you ever go to the pub with me and Matt McInnes, um, you just have to wait for a little while for him to start needling me about being a socialist. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, there's definitely some irony there. Um, I'm not sure if that question is from Jeff or from him, but... <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, it's also yeah. You want to you want to make a nod to the history, but mm. also there was no Montreal team, and that just seemed wrong because it's Montreal, right? Right. Uh, Got to be a team from there. So, I was excited to get into the Canadian Conference when I came back. That was um, that felt like a bit of a bonus to me. Um, so yeah, that's that's where it comes from. Definitely some irony, though. I mean. <laughs> I'm 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 a, I'm a, a scholar of literature, I suppose. So I enjoy these things. Absolutely, and and I mean that's that's it. This league is full of fun, and some of the names are just fantastic. Um, with inflation, we've seen in this league. Are you going to change your name to the Montreal Billionaires or Trillionaires? I can imagine you might have an idea where this one came from. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I feel okay. like. I feel like uh, you guys incurred some bitterness from a number of quarters <laughs> for running up the free agency this year. But um, yeah, maybe I should be the Montreal 1%. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that would be a bit like um, Henry's quest to have the hamburger Hamburglers. Um, I think that it's... Um, it's it's never going to happen. I know how Mark rolls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I, I mean, I love the millionaire's name myself. So that's, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm a fan of the classic. You know. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Uh, 
you apparently you came over to assist Matt Birch with his first draft pick at the live summit draft, uh, where it was between Haig and Thomas. He ended up with Thomas, and you ended up with Haig. Did you use your Jedi mind tricks on him to make that happen? And before you answer, I have to say, uh, Robert Thomas is a fantastic player. I don't think Matt came out too bad in this. <laughs> yeah, I I mean, to be quite honest, I don't remember this. Like, okay. there was so much that happened at the summit that, you know, their individual com- conversations like this don't stand out to me too much. Right. But, like, <laughs> I... I really, I really wanted to pick a forward because, you know, usually I do. Um, and I had my reservations about picking Haig. Um, he was a hard choice to make because I was worried he was going to just be a tough guy, right? And not have the kind of, you know, I, I saw the potential and I figured, okay, I've got to try, but... Yeah, I would have been really happy with Thomas. So there is no, um, there was nothing deliberate there. I feel like, yeah, you're doing okay, Matt, on the yeah. <laughs> on this one. I feel like there have been worse places for yeah, me absolutely. in terms of giving advice um, in the past. But I generally, you know, if you want advice on a pick, I try and think of your benefit first. Um, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not really, I'm, and I am open to, you know, talking about that kind of stuff. You know, um, I'm a, I'm a fan of everyone doing well in this league. Um, so yeah, there was, there was, you know, there was a lot of fun to be had there. And I think that was part of the fun of being live too. I mean, I just loved being at the live draft and, you know, going up to Doug and asking him about a Wheat King player, you know, like, mm-hmm. um, Yeah. No, it was it was such a great time. Um, which I guess, um, yeah, maybe you're going to ask me about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that was it, it. Really was an incredible time, and both of you came out gangbusters with those two players, I believe. So, uh, yeah. okay, so there we go. Then that leads into my next question: the, What's your favorite memories from the iconic '17 Summit in Edmonton? I mean, it's pretty hard to top Beercade. Um, <laughs> I think that's going to be a recurring theme, but just because it was when everyone started to gel. And I think, you know, like, you know, Sean and others have said before, right? Like, um, you know, you're you're never quite sure how it's going to go in person, um, you know, and... I, I was fairly optimistic about going and, you know, I was happy enough to go because I knew Henry and Eric and they were going to be there. So it was a chance to hang out with, you know, two friends. And it's harder as you get older, as everyone knows, to get together. But I think, you know, I felt like it was just so much fun to get a chance to meet everyone at first. But, you know, how do you pick a night either, really? Right. Um you know, I, I, I can't remember the name of that place where we went for, was it like a wings place, sports bar, where everyone was just like getting together at different tables and talking yeah. trade? I can't yeah, I remember think that was the name of that place. Real Canadian Brew House, maybe? Yeah, uh, that, that yeah, was I fantastic that, that night, too. Like, all the, all the socializing was just such a high point for me. And then, you know, I mean, the actual setup at... Um, the university with, right? with the live draft. I mean, yeah. it was like 
they had thought of everything that we could have imagined and then gone an extra mile in terms of all the swag and you know like i'm, yeah, I'm someone who goes i've i've gone to a lot of academic conferences and you guys put those professionals to shame <laughs> like a lot of them um yeah and all for you know fake little hockey guys right it's just amazing <laughs> Absolutely. Mike, you know, Mike really went above and beyond on that one, like just so far. It was absolutely fantastic. And that was my first time. I mean, I had just entered the league. Uh, and of course, so I hadn't met anyone until other than Mike until two days before when there was a couple of us from Edmonton got together to kind of discuss some of the things that were going on. But Mike put that all together. Just an amazing job. I remember Dustin was saying at, at the Real Canadian Brew House. He was saying the manager was coming up to him asking all about this league. And just, he was just the manager of that place was just like, this is incredible. And, he, you know, he could see just from all of us how much, you know, how much fun we were having and how just naturally uh, everybody was getting along. And just and just like you said, people going table to table and just talking the entire time about uh, about trades and and everything. Right. It was so much fun. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I, and that epic deal that we uh, between random <laughs> the seven <laughs> journeymen that we consummated, I think that was a that was also a high point. Um, <laughs> what time in the morning was sure, the trade? I'm not sure I remember who I got in that deal. I don't <laughs> think I have him anymore. But <laughs> that was an overnight deal. What time in the morning did you guys end up making the trade? <laughs> Um, yeah, I think we should have been in bed by that point. That was for sure. <laughs> okay. Well, amazing, amazing times. And, you know, so much to look forward to, um, for the GMs who haven't been for the 22 summit, you know, mm -hmm. in pandemic allowing, um, I think, you know, that's a great group of guys. And, you know, I think the chance to actually see some folks again, um, is something I'm really looking forward to about that. So, yes. yeah absolutely okay uh if you could go back to the expansion uh back to the expansion draft uh would you do anything differently and who turned out to be some of your favorite acquisitions from that draft um you know this is the hardest question for me to answer um because honestly <laughs> The expansion draft, like I'm trying to go back and look. I want to look at what um, at, at what uh, Sheetal did because um, we were up against each other. Um, and, and it wouldn't have been the same rules that we just had in the expansion draft when um, uh, when Seattle came in, right? It, no. it wasn't the seven three one protection. I mean, there was like you had. You would have had way less to pick from at, for for that one. I right? had yes, some relatively way less scrubs um, yes. <laughs> to pick from. Um, I think, yeah. I mean, it was a tough year to re-enter the league. I mean, Travis Moan did pretty well for me. <laughs> <There> you, <laughs> um, you know, my first three picks were Zidlicki, Smith, and Backstrom, and I think okay. I traded. All to Ryan for like prospects. Like I was very much in the like burn it to the ground, whatever I have mode yeah. right from the start. Um, so a lot of those guys got traded for picks. I think 
Corey Sarge played a lot of games for me. I think Brian Rolston was a leading scorer on my franchise for a, a few years. But um, yeah, it's it was it was a good way to start out bad. That's for sure. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, uh, and I mean, obviously, I can't talk about that without also talking about that first entry draft, which was also kind of cruel to <laughs> get. Uh, the Yakupov draft first. Oh, no, yeah. Um, But, you know, I mean, even out of what was a pretty rough 2012 draft overall, you know, Yakupov was a player. I probably should have traded him to Kirk the, like, three times we had a conversation about Yakupov for a second-round pick, but you live and learn. I got Yokopaka at the end of that draft for me, so I felt pretty good at that one. (laughs) There you go. (laughs) I'm all about the late round. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so at what point... So when I came into the league, you were... uh, You were... What I thought, finishing off that rebuild, you were looking really, really good. I thought you were going to be going for it at that point. Uh, At what point did you think your team switched from a rebuilding team into one that could be competitive and make the playoffs? Um, You know... I think the thing that I have started to realize is, um, you know, as much as you want to build around youth, you've got to look at how the sim works. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I think, you know, just realizing that youth is not always going to be served when it comes to, you know, the kind of success you need to contend, because let's face it, there are always some, you know, just absolute, you know, dynamite teams that is going to be your opposition if you want to contend right um Mm -hmm. and so i think if you've only got youth you've got to start trading for pieces that are going to actually be the what balances out your lineup a little bit um and so i think it took me a while to get around the switch and strategy um that it was going to take and so i started you know it was really last year when I started making trades like the the Couture trade with Bryce, right? Um, you know, that was when I was kind of like, okay, I could probably do a bit of a run here and make some noise and, you know, squeak in, and I didn't. Um, so <laughs> maybe, I just, maybe I tried too early, um, but after that I was kind of like, okay, that was kind of fun. So, yeah, right. Let's let's try it. Um, and I guess, um, you know, you've you've certainly seen the result. Like I've um, I've been fairly active in trying to piece together, you know, um, <clears throat> a more competitive roster for the year. Um, but, yeah, it was it was really kind of on a dime. I was kind of like last year. OK, let's go for it. Let's see what happens if I can acquire a few pieces um, around the, these um you know, the youth that I've got built up, what, what's going to happen. So, yeah. Well, and I mean, the sim can be cruel. I thought when you went for it last year, I thought you had just a legit chance of not just making the playoffs, but going for a run. Um, but hey, you know, that's how it goes. And the sim can be, all, at the same time, it can also be, give surprises to teams that go for Cinderella, Cinderella runs as well, right? So, Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, so... I don't even, I can't remember who this question came from. 
Uh, and I don't know which team they're talking about, but uh, did losing to the Vancouver cricket team a dozen times give you the patience to endure a rebuild? Do you have Do you have any idea who this is referring to? I could have. I I, I haven't the faintest. Um, <laughs> yeah. So um, in my youth, one of my uh, many experiences with uh or law losing an organized sport was <laughs> playing cricket against an all-star team of Van- vancouver kids um, oh. uh when you know in victoria you could hardly field a, a full roster of 11 <laughs> um right. kids even playing the game right so yeah, yeah no it was it was we it was kind of fun making the the ferry trip over with friends and whatnot for the day but it was not as much fun when you would <laughs> just get you know yeah just beaten out so always outside the park like just <laughs> it was not it was never close which um yeah, maybe maybe that does give you the constitution you need to endure rebuild. I mean, I think the other thing that honestly you can do a bit when you're rebuilding, and um, maybe this advice goes out to Chris and Hamilton, but uh, ignore the league a little bit. <laughs> um, you know, there's certain times of year when it's going to matter, but um, yeah, in the middle of the season. You know, you don't need to be scoreboard watching. Um, focus on other interests is my advice. <laughs> okay. Um, now, how are you liking being a winning team and having a legitimate chance for a championship? And do you feel you are a cup contender? Um, I'm not going to say that I'm a cup contender right now. I, I mean, I think that I think that I should scare any of the top seeds. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm not really sure just because of the injuries that I've dealt with. Like, I don't know. It seems like <laughs> I don't think that I have a particularly injury prone roster, but apparently, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. Um, other, my team is made of glass and the other top teams are just, uh, the energizer bunnies over there. I don't know. Um, so yeah, it doesn't exactly leave you feel like feeling like you're, you're primed to go far, but you know, I'm putting together some wins in the recent streak and, you know, as we know, this is also a league where you can go 16 and 0 and win the cup. So (laughs) anything can happen. Well, I think personally, I think you are a cup contender and uh, I guess only time will tell. But I, I really that is a team that scares that scares me a lot going into the playoffs big time. I mean, I, I, I feel like I should definitely scare people post Bergeron trade. Um, yeah, I mean, he's having a year. So as long as he stays healthy for me, too, if you noticed he's already gotten the, the requisite millionaire's injury. So we know that he's part of our team now. I saw that uh, the first day you <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> only a week. Yeah, yeah, classic sim. All right. Uh, some, actually quite a few GMs, are calling you the next Trader Gary or Ryan as far as wheeling and dealing goes. Uh, will we see more of this heading towards the deadline? I mean, I'm working on it. Um, yeah, obviously, I don't want to lose too many. I have a, a few pending free agents, and I feel like I now have the center depth where I can... Uh, 
move Couture out. Um, so, I mean, at the same time, I'm also hobbling <laughs> to the deadline here. So um, it's kind of a, you know, you, you don't want to be making a tradable asset injured, but you also want to keep performing. So it's kind of tricky to know how to play this right now, but I think um, Couture is going to go. Um, it's a matter of uh, getting value. And uh, as the GM of the millionaires, I got to get market value. So I'm not, I'm not giving anyone away, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I mean, I'm, I'm proud to pick up Gary's mantle cause he's been a little quiet this year. <laughs> he has, you're right. Absolutely. So I guess that talking about Couture, that leads us to the next question. Uh, why wouldn't you make a good Couture deal for the new guy? I mean, you know, I've, I've, we've had, we've had some good conversations and he may end up in, uh, he may end up in Portland yet. We'll see. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm not going to tip my hand on, uh, on negotiations any further than that. Um, but it's, it's been really fun actually making the deals. Um, and I, you know, I, I try and be creative in the offers that I um, come up with. And, um, you know, I think, I think if you're only looking at the trade blocks on the forums, you're not going to um, find the deals that are out there to be had. Um, yeah. I was really proud to pull off the line eight tra trade with Norm this year. I got to say it's been a while. I can't remember the last time I've traded with Norm. Um, and yeah, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> Um, okay, this one this one actually comes from uh, somebody with maybe a split personality in our league. Uh, not from a GM, but from somebody who is a GM, but goes by a different name. Uh, how does tenure work? Do you have tenure at work? And do you have tenure in the SACHL? Um, <laughs> if only there were... I, I don't know how tenure in the SICHL would work. Um, it doesn't work that well in the real world in some ways, <laughs> but, uh, so tenure people have heard this about, um, working at a university. Um, so, um, traditionally they were kind of, you get hired as a tenure track professor. Um, so, um, a lot of folks who just do undergrads don't really know what the, the hierarchy is, but. A tenure track professor is usually an assistant professor um, and about after five years you have to uh, submit a file of your research and teaching expertise for review and it gets reviewed many times and if you pass it um, you get tenure and tenure basically means that it's a bit, a bit like your Supreme Court justice or something you have um, job security for life okay um, and you know, there's a lot of responsibility that comes with that, obviously. Um, and I think that some folks, you know, have heard about, you know, tenured professors who get kind of kooky and um, don't really, you know, become that stereotype of the absent-minded professor who's maybe not fulfilling what they're supposed to. But these days, actually, um, there are fewer and fewer tenure-track jobs. Um, most teaching is done by untenured folk like myself. I work contracts at UBC, so I'm reapplying for my job basically every year. Um, so it's not actually very glamorous work. Um, 
but um, you know, it's 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 great work to do. At the same time, I really love working with students. Um, so, yeah, I'd love to get tenure. I've been up for a couple of tenure track jobs and have struck at, struck out, but um, I'm not sure it's necessarily in the cards anymore. Um, so, seems like my future is a bit more uh, the teaching track, I, I or something else. So we'll see. Okay. And in the SICHL, I guess, uh, you know what, I don't think I'd really want to have to uh, defend my my trades and my signings to uh, to Mark and Mike. <laughs> I, I couldn't see that going very well. So, oh, my God. That I'm glad there's not like, a tenure in the SICHL. <laughs> that would be hilarious, actually. I'd love to, like, I mean, I know there's some back chatter that goes on about, you know, who got who pulled the wool over whose eyes in the deal or in the draft so yeah <laughs> airing that all out in the open that that is something that's true about academic departments there's there's a lot of infighting a lot of politics yeah <laughs> i yeah. i think we don't want any part of that in this league that's for sure we have we have a i think a great vibe going so let's not change the structure all right <laughs> Okay, as a professor and a wordsmith, how hard is it to follow Twitter and not correct what other people are writing, uh, some more than others? Well, um, as someone who teaches writing um, to folks who have all kinds of levels of um, ability uh, with writing in English, um, it's it's kind of eerily similar to my day job. Yeah, I got to say, I hadn't really thought about it that way <laughs> until this question. Um, but yeah, um, actually, it's, you know, hockey Twitter is a big part of what's kept me interested in hockey. Um, I think I follow hockey Twitter more than I do the actual games anymore. Um, and it's been a way of, I think for me, I don't have the time to sort of sit down and scout players in the way that some folks like Sylvan does. Um, so for me, I think actually that is probably really important to my assessment of the draft is reading sources. Um, so yeah, I don't know if I've ever taught any fantasy hockey nerds myself, but um, maybe I should suggest that to my students. Actually, you're giving me ideas here. <laughs> you got to read hockey Twitter closely. Even the, you got to read through the like 17 year old spelling. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they, uh, yeah. <laughs> there's you know, there's all kinds of writers out there. I mean, that's what's so interesting about hockey Twitter. Like, there's some really great sports writers. I feel like we're in a day, you know. A moment with sites like the athletic where sports writing is better than it's ever been in some ways you know mm -hmm. um like i don't miss having you know just the main networks as the only source out there you know absolutely yeah i, I grew up reading the calgary herald um and and the sports section in the herald you had two you had two writers you you read that's it right uh, that when i grew up um because you didn't get uh, other newspapers, I mean, we didn't read the Sun, um, so so it was there were two writers that I grew up reading, right? And now it's there's thousands and thousands that you're reading, like you said, with the Athletic and but all over the internet, right? It not, yeah. doesn't have to be somebody with a you know, with a company or anything. It, they so many that are just on their own um, that are just putting stuff out there, and 
I didn't. Uh, I did. I wasn't on Twitter until uh, I joined the SICHL. The my the Rockies uh, uh, Twitter feed for myself. The Rockies account was my very first Twitter account. So that's where yeah. I got my introduction to to hockey Twitter, and I I, I was hooked immediately. Right. So. <laughs> I will say that uh, the problem with me getting into hockey Twitter is I have a professional alter ego. Some of you guys follow it. Um, and it was not healthy getting into hockey Twitter at the same time as Trump became president because I <laughs> spent way too much on <laughs> American politics Twitter in the last four years. And I feel like I'm only just uh, <laughs> recovering. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah I mean, even in even on hockey Twitter, it's it just snuck in there. Right. It's, yeah, yeah. Somehow half your feed is is about American politics from like when you're, I'm like, I don't follow anyone that is not somebody from hockey and somehow half of it is American politics too. So, and I live in Canada. So yes, I, 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 try, I, I read the grinder religiously. And I think the grinder complained about that in a tweet a while ago, like people, you know, tweeting about politics from their SICHL Twitter. And I'm, I try very hard to maintain the separation between my, um, <laughs> <laughs> my IRL account and my uh, SICHL account. So, right. <laughs> uh, in the draft, why do you only like wingers? Um, can Can I ask a follow up question? Absolutely. Why does everyone else only like centers? <laughs> I feel like I, every- after this after this question came like came in, I looked at it and I said, "Yeah, you know what? I I." I draft a lot of centers. I don't draft many wingers, actually, per se. I, I'm like, this is a good question, uh, like you said, for, for for me as well and for other people. Like, what makes you, like, focus on a position, maybe? Um, I'm, sorry, I'm... I'm no, 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 no. 2018, I, I, I was extremely defenseman-heavy in 2018, but all other drafts have been extremely center-heavy. Yourself very winger heavy why why do you think that is i mean for me i try um and you know my lists are you know always feel imperfect work in progress um come the draft but i try to go bpa and i feel Mm -hmm. like um what happens a lot of times is folks are drafting for positional need. I mean, within a framework of BPA, perhaps, but um, I do feel like wingers tend to fall. Um, And yeah, it's just been, you know, where I've been, you know, okay, I really wanted to take Matthews, but I ended up with the second overall pick. Like, you know, um, that's happened to me twice. Thanks, Kirk. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, um, yeah, I don't know. Um, it's it's really. I would really like a center. You can see that I've been trying very hard to trade for one. I mean, I think that's kind of what I've uh, I've always thought is like, okay, you know, you've got to treat them these fake little hockey guys as assets too mm-hmm. you know yeah. i can put my uh my millionaire um cap and mustache on for a minute you know you gotta you gotta make a deal right um if you don't get the if your roster is not looking the right way uh, coming straight out of the draft mm-hmm. so yeah 
I'm wondering if for myself, I'm I'm wondering if there's something specific in in the scouting of a player that I'm looking at. Maybe I'm you know like maybe a center, um, you like a center more often might uh, be higher on hockey sense, uh, and a winger higher in shooting and and skill and other skills. And right? I think that maybe that might be a different. Maybe, in, yeah, maybe that yeah. comes into it too. I wonder. I yeah, I think that's a good point because I think the other thing that I tend to look at a little bit is fantasy upside as opposed to um, team upside. To to uh, you know, yeah, are they going yeah. to be a great uh, Naho player? Yeah, right? um, yeah, and so you know, there's a lot of folks who question, you know, Mike Hoffman as a player, for example, but Mike Hoffman is, you know, I think leading Dublin's charge to the playoffs here, right? Um, You know, so I think, I think it's, it's worth thinking about the comparison between those two leagues in that way a little bit. And I, that's kind of kicked me in, in the butt sometimes, because I, you know, if you want to talk about an SICHL regret, I regret drafting Druin in front of Barkov, right? Um, so, and that was a pure upside pick on my part. And I think it was a little bit naive. And I'm starting to reassess as a result of that. You know, I think all evaluation is about that reassessment every year. Like, mm-hmm. what, where are your, drafts five years on like where is that showing the flaw in your methodology so i try and think a little bit about that yeah absolutely wow you know i love that that was a great question whoever sent that in (laughs) that's a great question uh it got me thinking big time about my about my drafting actually as well um so thank you uh and thank you for your answer a really good answer there um any reason you always snipe jeff's players I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's because I love to to bug Jeff. Yeah, no, I, I clearly I've I've um, this must be a communist versus capitalist kind of thing. We've got we've bugged Havana. <laughs> um, no, uh, I think I think sometimes there it's pretty clear that folks follow the same sources and follow. Um, you know, have similar inclinations. The other thing that I'll say, I guess, about my approach to the draft, I haven't quite figured out how to draft for D or goalie. Um, and I tend to pick forwards a little more. I feel like there's there's a little more safety there, I guess, in terms of fantasy upside. And it's also about my assessment of the sim a little bit, um, because I can remember many championship teams with kind of lunch pail D's winning, right? And those players, I think, are very hard to be sure, you know, is it going to be Mackenzie Weger, right? Or is it going to be uh, Jake Sanderson, right? Are you going to find those guys at the top of the draft or at the bottom of the draft? I I think there's plenty of chances for D to work out later in the in the draft and yeah maybe jeff's on the same wavelength i don't know <laughs> you know i remember you saying that that's that same uh, the same thing in 17 and i took that uh, i took that to heart actually i i uh i i followed that really closely uh in 2018 i went a bit away from it just because i thought that was just such an incredible draft for defenseman but 
but on the whole i've done i've tried to follow that a lot just because you're right and you had mentioned i remember at the summit as well that uh you know you've, I, you found it much more much easier to trade for a defenseman later on than to trade mm-hmm. for a top forward later on right so so i was like okay okay all right so like build like the asset management get those get those top forwards right because they're they're tough to they're tough to grab off people. Right? Although on the other hand, I mean, you pulled off quite a <laughs> trade for a center in uh, in Barkov. Hey, um, you know, I, I think I think if you have the assets to put together, right? <laughs> um, you know, anything can happen. But right, yeah, right. no, it's it's a pretty it's pretty interesting to um, to to try that approach um, as well. Like I'm. I think you'll probably see me try and think a little bit more about D. I'm really interested, actually, in what Chris is doing in Hamilton and building mm-hmm. D out. Um, you know, I think we're seeing some different approaches, and I think that's really healthy for the league because um, I don't want it to be a sort of one-size-fits-all approach because, you know, we're going to miss something. And it's not. I mean, look at the look at the different approaches that that took people to the finals last year, right? Like, you have... You have Dustin, who does didn't uh, like hasn't made a draft pick. Well, he picked in in seventeen, right? I mean, he yeah. made huge deals. Or I don't know how he did it, but he made just huge deals in seventeen to all of a sudden give him a, a full selection there. But other than that, hasn't made a draft pick in I don't know how long. And then you have Eric, who built like he's built through trades as well, but mostly through the draft, right? He's he's brought up that team, right? So. Um, Oh yeah, yeah, I remember when the schooners were bad. <laughs> so, so yeah, you're right. There, are, there's so many different ways to to do it, and I, I, a lot of people have said that that is just what they love, big time in this league is is you can do it in so many different ways. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what is uh, what's your favorite time of the SICHL year? And there can be more than one in this, but what's your favorite time of year? I mean, I think. I think it's the draft still, you know, the, the thing that's kind of killer for me is the draft is a terrible time in the school year. (laughs) Um, so yeah, I'm usually pretty slammed when I want to be, um, doing my research. Um, and so that's made me more willing to trade my picks, I think in part, as well as, you know, feeling like, okay, I've got a pretty good staple here. Um, you know, maybe I can trade some of these for more present assets. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the draft is hard to beat. Um, you know, the playoffs. I'm I'm the kind of person, you know, I'm a, I'm a Sens fan, right? Like I, I don't know. My my experience of the playoffs is um, based on you know watching series with the Leafs, just waiting for them to <laughs> break my heart. You know, <laughs> so yeah. Um, I, I, it's it's such a weird thing being a sports fan. I feel like there's so much negative about the experience, right? Of like waiting to be disappointed because there can only be one winner. Absolutely. So I can't say the playoffs really. Um, <laughs> certainly, as someone who's not really participated in them in a while, um, but you know, I'm looking forward to them because that's the goal. Like I want to be that one, and that would be amazing. I mean, when I ran went to, on the run to the finals with the with the Vikings, like that was a fantastic year for me. Um, I was happy that I lost to the team that I did because it was a team I respected. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, it's, I think it's gotta be the draft really. Um, you know, but I, 
increasingly, you know, as I'm more active, I think the 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 trade deadline could be pretty interesting this year. I'm always interested in what folks want to do, and I I think that actually Twitter has really helped the league become more active in terms of trades. So yeah, it's going to be fun. I think what what happens uh, this year. Yeah, shout out to the insider. The insider does a great job um, of uh, of getting that uh, getting everybody interested um, in in what's going on for some. Ooh, what's coming up? What what trader we have in here? So way to go uh, to the SICHL insider on Twitter. Uh, okay, uh, favorite draft picks going to the if the the draft is your favorite time of the year. Uh, favorite draft pick of all time. Um. Well. I believe I got Mathieu Perrault with the last pick of the draft the year I picked him. I think oh, it was a re-entry. Um, so that was a that felt pretty good. Um, yeah, but um, I picked John Klingberg late, late too, um, nice. and that was that was another one I was pretty happy with. Although I never really got to have the. I think I traded for him with the Millionaires after picking him with the Vikings. Um, <laughs> So, but yeah, I never really got to see the benefit there. My current favorite pick, I mean, I love Victor Arvidsson. Um, it was really hard to trade him, but I think it was the right time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, there's so many draft picks. And I, I love the ones who just, you know, come out of nowhere. Like this year, I'm really excited about Jack Lafontaine, who I think almost everyone had written off. And as a senior, is like a Hobie Baker candidate after, you know, transferring schools, playing a year in Penticton in front of Don. Um, I've never I've never actually asked Don for his uh, scouting report there. But, um, yeah, no, it's... Uh, I, I love those late picks, you know, it's it's always great to hit on the top picks, like I'm, you know, happy to have been drafting well at the top, um, as much as I have been, like, you know, the nailing the connect me pick where I did, for example, mm-hmm. you know, I think that was a great run. Um, I remember Guy remarking on that a little bit that year, that like, the SIC, CHL GMs were just much more on it in a way than the the whole GMs, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I think one one thing that I struggle with, I guess, a bit in assessment is, you know, I read a lot of hockey writing and with analytics and whatnot. I feel like the sim doesn't really reflect the players that we should be respecting um, a little bit sometimes, and so I, I think there's another place where I I'm sort of wondering about my valuation a bit, but, um, yeah, yeah. I do love those analytics darlings a little bit lately. So that's, that's probably a a bit of the book on me. If you're trying to figure out what I'm doing in the next draft. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. uh, Let's move into trades. And, uh, do you have a favorite trade over all the time and, and, uh, maybe even a least favorite trade? I'm regretting some of my early season moves. Like, what the heck happened to Miles Wood? Like, <laughs> I thought I was trading a fourth liner to Seattle, and <laughs> he's, like, leading New Jersey, I feel like, in goals. I don't know. Um, yeah, trade with me. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I, 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 I do not win them all, that is for sure. Um, I still nope. like Joey Keane, but I, I feel like... Um, 
yeah, I feel like Seattle might have got one over on me there. Uh, I feel like I may also regret the the Myers for Ferentz, although that I, that I was thinking a bit as a sort of fantasy versus Naho trade. We'll see how that plays out. Um, so yeah, I'm def. I I think I regret trades that are recent, like. They're stressful for me to make, I will say that, um, even though I'm doing more of them. Um, you know, it was really hard for me to part with uh, Oliver Oliver Shillington when I was um, trading uh, for for Bishop, for instance. But I just don't know if he's got it, if, he, if Calgary's going to actually play him. I feel like they might have wrecked him. <laughs> um, no comment. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know. That I, I was going to let Michael have that risk. <laughs> All right. Um, favorite? Any favorite? Yeah, favorite favorite trade. Um, I think my favorite trade is I traded two second round picks to Don for the first round pick that I used to take John Carlson with the Vikings. That was that was a trade I was really happy with. He like fell to the end of the first round that year. Um, and I mean, we all know what John Carlson became. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I was pretty proud of that one. Um, oh, I mean, there's probably, uh, I, I feel like I'd thought of a few others, um, going into this that I was pretty happy with, but, you know, I've been, I've been pretty busy. It's hard to keep track of them all. <laughs> right. And we make so, we do make so many trades that it's tough to like, just pick those pick those ones but yeah Carlson fantastic player to be able to grab out out of out of two second rounders right that's fantastic yeah Um, yeah. any players that you've always wanted but have never just been just never been able to acquire um you know that's a tough one for me because it it shifts from year to year you know the (laughs) sim is fickle the re-rates can be crushing um but you know, I'll I'll say that I'm pretty stoked to have acquired Bergeron. I feel like that's a, the kind of quali- caliber of player that you know is rarely available. Oh, yeah. and I feel like whenever they are available, um, you know, Gee gets them. <laughs> or, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm 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 pretty I'm pretty happy about uh, that trade for that reason. I feel like that's. Uh, you know, there are those players that you always look up to, you know, from around the league, and it's pretty exciting when one of them's playing for your team. Um, so, yeah, yeah, pretty pretty thrilled about that deal. I mean, I'd love to have um, a bit more of a top-flight D-man. Um, I'm not really sure who that is right now. I was, I asked, uh, as I'm sure many of people have asked uh, Henry about McAvoy. Yeah. Um, so yeah that that <laughs> it's weird i don't generally like boston that much i don't know why i'm mentioning so many boston players but <laughs> yeah um yeah i mean there's, there's lots have of a great team around. though yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah uh, that, he would be a great one to to be able to acquire i think it would take a lot to pry um mcavoy out of uh, hamburg for oh, sure. Yeah. No, I, 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 I feel like I would have had to put in more thought into that offer than I had time for. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Do you have an all-time franchise favorite player? A fan favorite, you might say. Uh, for the franchise, um, yeah, this is another one I didn't prepare for super closely, but I want to look at my uh, leaders here for a second. Um, I mean, for me, actually, oh, here's another one that I feel like I'm going to regret having traded away um, is Troy Stecker, mm -hmm. um, who I feel like never got the respect he deserved from Travis Green in Vancouver, for, for one thing. Um, so uh, it, not the Vancouver Vipers, obviously, um, talking about that out of the league. But uh, yeah, I feel like he put in some yeoman's minutes for my teams that were really bad. <laughs> Um, it's kind of funny because you think about like, okay, in theory, these fans who show up for these terrible teams, that's the, <laughs> one of the, the awkward things about the fake little hockey guys is the fake little fans that show up to watch the teams that are tanking and <laughs> stuff no their chests full, right? So <laughs> yeah, um, I figured maybe they enjoyed watching Troy Stecker. I, I don't know if he felt like a pretty good signing for me. Um, yeah, uh, I I don't know. I I I struggled with drafting centers um, right the way through, aside from picking Brian Little in my first draft with the Vikings. Um, you know, I it, when I went on my run, I had to trade for Patrick Marlowe for the. I had a line of Marlowe and Ovechkin. I think Nash was um, a left winger that year. So he was always playing on the second line, but uh, with little. But you know that year, I think Marlowe. I was. I think that might have been his best goal scoring year, if not his scoring year in his career. So I was pretty proud of the year that he had. So he's a he's a he's kind of a favorite player of mine. I would say. Okay. Uh, biggest rival in the league. Oh, um, I mean, I think it's it's fair to say that um we're not quite rivals yet but eric and i are probably going to be rivals <laughs> uh, yeah i mean my expansion cousin shital we're in opposite conferences so it's kind of hard to make anything of that um yeah i don't know it's 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 hard to say who else my rival really would be um I never seemed to, when I was with Oslo, run into the same teams over and over again. Um, so, yeah, I, I mean, the, the door's open. So let's, uh, let's have some interesting series, guys. I'm looking forward to actually having some, some more trash to talk here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this year's playoffs may, uh, may just bring somebody out of the woodwork and, and you might all of a sudden have that, that rival you never knew you even had. Um, are you the grinder? Uh, and if uh, how will you convince us it's not you? If you are not, how are you convinced us that it's not you? Um, and if you're not the grinder, who do you think the grinder is? Um, well, I'm not really sure how to convince you that I'm not the grinder. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, um, I mean, as we say in... Um, English literature, the author is dead, 
right? Um, so <laughs> once once you um, type things out and send it off into the into the Twitterverse, um, does it really matter who the the author is? <laughs> it's a an interesting existential question to ponder when you think about the grinder. But we all want to know, nevertheless. Um, uh, even if it, even if you all believe it is me, does it matter if it's me? <laughs> I I don't believe it's me. <laughs> um, no, my my best guess is uh, Jeff for sure. Um, and my my read is that he is good at performing a character, and um, so I see him as doing that for Havana and doing that for the grinder. Um, and I, I just feel like having met him at the summit, having a sense of, you know, um, his sort of, his sense of humor, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, I, I buy him. My, my dark horse candidate is, remains Sean. Um, I feel like he knows the league. Um, I, um, it was also a true pleasure actually trading with him for, um, Bergeron. I, it's, it's really fun to get to trade with some of the GMs you don't always deal with. Um, so yeah, but I feel like he's, he's wise, um, and his teams are always surprising. Um, and that says to me that he's paying attention to how the league's working and what everyone's doing. So Yeah. Those are my guesses. Okay. I like your thinking there. All right. I have to say, Chasm, this has been a blast. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show. Um, Chasm Hussein, uh, GM of the Montreal Millionaires. Thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. And this podcast really, you know, like we've been saying all along, there's so much that, you know, goes into this league and you're, you're really um, adding the the cherry on top like it's it, you know it's it's just so much fun to have you part of the league and everyone else so um thanks guys um and lots of luck uh the rest of the way through the year all right thanks again chasm okay take care bye thanks again chasm and now gary graves gm of the boston colonials and myself have an interview with will scout creator and host of scouting Enjoy. At the blue line. Very close to being offside. Now Perfetti's back in on goal. Score! The chance for Perfetti. Score! Mr. Perfetti. Perfetti with a shot. He scores! Welcome back to the program. Gary Graves, GM of the Boston Colonials. And for the first time ever on the podcast, we have somebody from outside the SICHL. We have Will Scouch who is the host of Scouching and the website Scouching.ca. Welcome, Gary, and welcome, Will. Hello. Hey, Ian. Thanks for uh, for having us uh, having us both here today. Pretty excited. Yeah. And this and this is also a first for the podcast is having uh, two guests on at the same time. So I'm pretty pretty excited about this, and uh, and I'm really excited to have Will Scouch on. Uh, Will. Uh, you've been. Let's see. How did uh, how did you get into scouting? Well, uh, I was always the the, the geek uh, of 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 hockey fans when I was young. Like I had all the yearbooks and I would memorize them like cover to cover, and you know, just kind of 
memorize and, and know as much as I possibly can about the sport. Um, was never much of a player, but I always loved the game. And with the sort of analytics, uh, I guess you could call it revolution or whatever you want to call it, um, I realized that there was a bit of a gap in terms of bringing those principles into analyzing junior players and looking at the draft and, you know, if there were any patterns that could be picked out. So over the years, it's kind of snowballed. Um, but more and more, just keep adding more and more to my plate, I decided to try to make it into a full-on um, operation where people could pay me for services and everything. So now we're at that point, which has been really, really great. Um, so yeah, it, it all kind of just fed out of loving the game, you know, wanting to understand as much about it as I can, uh, which is kind of to me the more fascinating part, uh, and and just sort of digging in, watching as much hockey around the world as I can, and kind of, you know, figuring out what makes a great player and and you know, if I were to ever move on uh, to, say, working for a team, finding factors that more clearly could lead to greater success in the draft, because the better you are at drafting players, to me, the easier it is to put a team together. Fantastic. Absolutely. And I, I know all the SICHL GMs um, would love that information. And I know that a couple follow you right now, Not uh, actually a lot more than a couple. Uh, so... I, I know that that information is very valuable. Uh, you're on Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. at Scouching, uh, and of course on the internet at www.scouching.ca. Uh, can you tell our GMs any other, or any other PuckCat list, listeners for for that matter, what is Scouching? Yeah, so what I'm doing basically is a, a data-focused look at draft prospects. So I'm basically looking at really concretely identifying what type of a player you're looking at and and what their pros and cons are you know no player is perfect um everybody has things that they're better at or things that they need to work on and that's fine just identifying those things accurately um is really important and i find that a lot of players get miscast um and i think that when you use data and and uh, dare i say analytics you can sort of cut through a lot of what what biases there might be. Um, And, you know, it is kind of interesting because there's also a lot of biases that data can show, especially when you're looking at players across the the planet coming from all different kinds of backgrounds and leagues and talent levels on their teams and, and all these things. So just contextualizing all that is important. And the more and more work I do, the better and better I feel like I'm getting. Um, But generally it's a, it's, it's, it's a hand-tracked database that I'm building of basically what a player does when they're on the ice and and what and how they're generating those results. So data and video together kind of work work together to build a profile and a projection of a player um, that that tries to basically get as concrete of you as I can. Okay. Excellent. Well, for me and just and and will, I, I followed started following you this year. And uh, so, being the armchair GM that we are in, in these uh, in this SICHL league, we we all do our our, our drafts every year, like uh, kind of following the, the same path as the NHL, right? So my my approach to the draft was always grab the hockey news uh, edition mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, and and look at basically Bob McKenzie's list, and that was my uh, that was my scouting for 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 the draft. That was my approach, right? And then I decided, hey, I'm going to go on a full on rebuild, build, and, and Ian. Can, can attest to that. Like I said, okay, now I'm going to go out 
I'm going to start looking at these prospects, understanding them a lot better. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then I see, okay, Scott, some of our guys on, on the, in this league are, are following you. And I'm like checking, checking your stuff out. And I'm like watching video after video after video <laughs> of like Tim Sutzla, Paul Gregg, Braden Schneider. I'm like, this is kind of cool. Like I'm learning more about prospects than I've ever have or, or have ever been interested in. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of glad you're, you're there. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad i'm glad to be there as well it's certainly it's certainly work that doesn't really feel like work to me i i really enjoy it um and yeah i mean i i i certainly am not perfect but definitely when you have that attitude it helps help it helps you learn i guess so i'm glad i can be of service <laughs> uh, no it's been it's been a lot of fun like i say it just kind of gets you geeked up like like you say it's it's almost like you get geeked up over prospects right so yeah uh, uh, my my question to you is just as simple as have you ever played hockey and do you still play it's funny i i get asked that a lot i used to play when i was a kid so um i stopped when i was in high school uh i was never very good um i was uh you know I, I think it was an academic thing for me. I kind of, you know, looking at going to university and stuff, I needed to more focus on school. So I kind of let the hockey slip, but I did pick it up uh, and spent the money to buy equipment and everything. And then the pandemic hit after two weeks going to play hockey at a local rink. So uh, bad timing there. But uh, as soon as things are, are back to whatever normal will be, uh, I'll be right back out there getting my getting my feet going again because uh, I definitely miss it. But uh, I was always the big kid. I was I was about six feet tall when I was thirteen or fourteen. So they my coaches would just push me on defense because no one else wanted to put me there, uh, and I, I could skate okay. So that, that's kind of where I lived. I didn't really like it, but such is life when you're a six foot tall thirteen year old. But uh, I did used to play, but uh, only recently have picked it back up again. Well, your gear is your gear is dry anyway, so you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Will, how do you approach the scouting process? Does a player catch your eye first, or while you're looking through um, data and and, and analytics, uh, do, is it then that you decide which players to focus more on for viewings? It's kind of all wrapped up together. So a big thing, the the way that I kind of view it is. How do I go from the start of the season to the end? And I guess from the start to the end, I do end up getting more and more targeted. So when I'm building my database, my ultimate goal for the strongest, you know, I feel relatively confident on a read of a player after about four games, I would say, three or four games of data, which doesn't sound like a lot, but with the volume of information that I'm putting in, it doesn't really change after after those three or four performances, even if one is really bad or one is really good. Um, so, but but I guess from the start of the season to the end, my biggest focus is, you know, from the start, I look at the early season tournaments. You know, I I look at some lists that other people are putting together. I now. Uh, 2020 was the first year I did this where from 2019, I had a bunch of names that were eligible the next season that I had caught in passing that I was very interested in and just made a list and started working top down. And I kind of like to sit back and just not worry about the data and just watch the player for a while um, and see what's up and, and make notes of, okay, you know, the player I'm watching has looked good, but this other player who has an interesting statistical background also has looked good. So maybe I'll pencil him in for down the road. Um, but then it sort of just goes, all right, you know, there's more and more lists coming out. Um, you know, some of it lines up with what I have interpreted as the guys to watch, but there are others that I haven't watched. So I'll check those out and start to build the database sort of one game at a time. 
you know, cast a wide net, watches watch a lot of different guys, and and as I'm going, sort of roughly order them of of how important or how excited I am about about going from there. And then over the course of the season, it just becomes, you know, I'll I'll pick a player and you know watch them a couple of times you know some now if i pick up a new player now i can go back in time to say october november december and do three games in a day and have a decent read right away which is which is nice but beyond that uh sometimes what will happen is i'll be focused on one player which is primarily what i'm doing and another player will catch my eye i i think uh someone i was on a podcast with i think it was steve laidlaw a little while ago he said he he coined the term for me of glitter player where you're watching one player and another player is impressing you a few times and mm. it's all it always turns out to be the same player so you sort of pencil that guy's name down especially if he's a first time draft eligible and and you go there and check him out um sometimes that that p- points you in the right direction and sometimes it's just you saw a nice shift that he had and most of the night you know you're not doing much um but generally uh i'm 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 starting broad early in the year watching as much as I can across as many leagues as I can in different tournaments and whatever, focusing in more and more, uh, definitely prioritizing sort of the higher end guys, but there's always guys later on in the draft that show well in the data or show well visually that, you know, I think there's more there to look at. And, and I, I enjoy looking into those as well. Um, and then there's also those glitter players where it's like, it wouldn't hurt to have some data and be somewhat informed on this guy. And if there's nothing there, there's nothing there, but you just move on. So it's kind of all of it at once, I guess, to answer your question as, as, as quickly as I can. <laughs> okay. And that's really interesting about the, that the data doesn't change too much after four games, mm-hmm. um, which I think this year will be really important. Uh, more important than any year if if you can kind of get that idea um, from say a, not just four games but um, but a very short small number of um, a small amount of data as we're just not going to have as much this year so uh, that's that's pretty cool actually for this year yeah awesome so uh, another question I have for you Will is uh, so we're we're at this point in the year now where we've seen some either some initial lists or some almost like midterm lists of, of prospects. Is there, and, and I think everybody's kind of in and around a similar top, you know, 35, 40, 40 players. Is there anybody that you feel that we could, you know, perhaps think, think of as a sleeper, maybe that's going to slide into that, you know, first mid second round or, or later rounds that, that catch your eye right now? That's the fascinating thing about this year's draft. I think there's a lot of them. I mean, I, I, a lot of people are talking about this year's draft and, and how crummy it is. And they love to just, you know, there's no top end guys. So what's the point? Uh, but I, I think there's some interesting talent that's playing out there. I mean, there's already a few names that come to mind. The first one is Fabian Liesel right at the top of the draft. Uh, I have him in my top five. I, I think that that guy has a ton of potential in Sweden. Um, you know, there, there's just so much to like about his game, his pace, his skating, his energy level, his offensive ability, um, you know, and what works out for him in his favor in, 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 I guess, other NHL teams favors that aren't playing at the top. There are people who say that there are quote unquote attitude issues, and that always can affect a player's draft draft stock, whether it's legitimate or not. So if that's a player that you can get later, then I'd say the top five, then I think you're laughing. Uh, Outside of that, there's a couple of big ones later on that I have in my first round uh, to come that come to mind. Fyodor Svechkov is a Russian center playing in uh, Togliati uh, in, in Russia, which is, uh, 
not a great team. Uh, they are the second division pro level in Russia is an interesting place to play hockey. Um, but I, I, the data that I've got on him is extremely promising. Um, it's really a telltale sign of a really good player that plays with a, with, to be honest, like just kind of a bunch of bums. Um, it's really frustrating to watch, but he, when he contributes, it's really, really positive. And I think there's a lot to like with his game. And the other one that I think is a total shot in the dark, but you know, if, if we were looking at like putting money on a really long shot to be potentially one of the better players to come out of the draft, I'd look at Scott Morrow out of uh Shattuck high school okay. in, in the U S I, I have all the time in the world for him. He's a great kid. Uh, he's an excellent, excellent offensive defenseman. I mean, you know, he, he, he's not perfect, but I mean, there, there's a lot of things that he does really, really well. And I think that, you know, he's going to North Dakota. They love defensemen like him. They love to engage their defensemen offensively. I, I think that there's tons and tons of potential. He's, you know, he's got size, reach, skill, you know, there's a lot to like with his game. And that, if that's a guy that because teams are scared off because he's playing prep school hockey, I, I, and, and he falls into the second round or something. That's that's where I would think that you either. I mean, he's. I, I usually wouldn't push to trade up, but if you're talking like two late second round picks or a second and a third round pick to guarantee a chance of taking a swing on him, I, I do it. I think that he's one of the more undervalued guys. So those are the three ones that definitely come to mind right away. So if nice. if he's if he's playing for North Dakota or is like a North Dakota commit, so you expect the Sens to to draft yeah. him, I guess. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I do. All right. Thanks for that. That's pretty good uh, insight there. <laughs> well, I've noticed well, you have some of the best analy- analytics available out there that I've seen. Uh, how much time do you spend on that side of the scouting, uh, like going over underlying stats from all of the leagues, uh, and how how readily available? Is, is that like you, do you have to like dig, dig, dig to find well, it? So the data that I rely on, I actually make myself. I, oh, wow. I, I watch. So what's good about, I, I write for McKean's hockey and a big advantage of that is I get access to uh, a website like Instat where you can basically watch isolated tape of anyone you want really within reason there are some leagues that are tougher to access and such but overall you get a pretty good gauge on on pretty much anyone you want um so that saves a ton of time it, when i first started out it was you know i would be watching russian junior hockey on youtube and i would have to tab tab through the ice time until the player hit hit the ice again and and there was lots of room for mistakes there um i focus primarily on at five on five data and i don't think anyone isolates five on five data at least in terms of like say instat which does have an analytics section they do even strength but i always prefer to rely on five on five i think that you know power play and penalty kill stuff can really cloud judgment um and i think that various skills at five on five you can project and say all right well i would try this player on a power player i would try this player on a penalty kill because those situations are very dependent on a goalie uh, or on a coach sorry so when i when i look at what analytics are out there. I mean, there are other people who do similar work to me that I, I think go beyond. I mean, like Mitch Brown is a huge one. He's an elite prospects ringside. Uh, he, he's a, he's an absolute beast. I don't know how he does it, but, um, he, he does, he goes off and it's pretty impressive. I mean, I, but for me, this is a side gig to me. I, I have a day job. Um, it's pretty much every night, I'm I'm up and working uh, my weekends. This is this is a lot of what I do on the weekends when I have some spare time. Uh, I'm extremely fortunate in that I have the time to do what I what I 
what I love to do on my spare time here. Um, and so when I, I mean, there is data for other leagues that's available. Um, but I mean, to me, it, it also helps build my eye of a player. Like I was saying earlier, like things don't usually change. And I feel like I have a pretty good read after three or four games. And I think a lot of that comes from tracking the data myself and putting it in myself and looking at the feedback live as it goes in. I find that, you know, if it were up to me and I wasn't doing the data, someone might have a botched defensive entry and look like crap. And you would write that down in your notebook and say, well, he botched this and got caught flat footed. But that might ignore the six or seven times where the guy just gets his stick in the passing lane and clogs the, the rushing lane and, and shuts down a break in. Right. Like and, and you might miss that if all you focus on is the one really botched situation. Right. And with the data, you can then say, all right, like in the grand scheme of things. It wasn't so bad, but it is imp important to note, you know, if that thing repeats itself, that that might be a concern. So for me, it helps build just a concrete view. And um, yeah, so that's kind of also why I build it myself. So I, I scour sources for generic data. So like Pick 224 is a really good website run by Dave McPherson, who uh, it, without him, my work wouldn't be as valuable. I, I use his data to derive other data. Uh, and that's really been valuable to me. And he casts a wide net with a lot of different leagues. Um, so it is kind of growing. I think there are more people who are more interested in this. Um, for me, I do it kind of for my own purposes and to give to my, my patrons and such uh, and display in ways where you can get insights that you wouldn't find any anywhere else. Um, so that's kind of the angle that I'm taking. But also it's mostly done so that I have a fundamental data back data backbone of of what i'm looking at so when i put the videos together i can go you know here's the evidence and here's the data that that leads me to my conclusions and you know all of that kind of goes into a soup that that kind of really helps get me there absolutely that's great and have you noticed are there are there certain leagues that it's just tougher to find either that data or tough tougher to find uh viewings for, for yeah. those leagues like i've noticed maybe some of the league of players uh, there's not quite as not quite as much data this year right now that is is that a normal thing for them or um, yeah i mean with 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 the video access like the yeah. leaks that are tough are the sort of second rate or i should say like b level european pro league so watching brant clark for example playing in slovakia that i don't get it, it's hard to track down you know reliable high quality video for every game he's played um and generally when i work i try my best to stick to one game a month and just track a player as the year goes on but if i can't do that i still want to get the data so i kind of and especially this season so i have bent those rules a little bit for this year um but the you know slovakia is one like second division hockey in the czech republic can be really spotty uh you know there, there's a bunch of leagues where it's just kind of sometimes hit or miss um, but yeah, I mean, with the Liga, yeah, I have noticed as well that some games don't have the same amount of data as other games. Um, Instat isn't perfect either. There's a lot of leagues where they have really deep granular data that's accessible. Um, but sometimes it's not every game, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll have people who track specific teams. So let's say the Moose Jaw Warriors, and they'll be responsible for adding all these events to those games, but then you know, when the Moose Jaw Warriors leave town and play Seattle and Seattle doesn't have someone doing that, then you don't have the same data for those games. So when you look at, 
season-wide data on a site like that, it can be a little bit tricky. Um, and that's another reason why I do my own work and, and sort of build my own database. But yeah, I mean, overall, I, I, again, like I said, I think it's heading in the right direction, but it still is a little bit in, in, a, in, a, in a maturation zone. Okay, thank you. Awesome. Uh, now, with the draft, um, I know the NHL has floated different ideas, and, and given that we're in a, that COVID kind of world still, where uh, having the NHL draft move from June to what was it October uh, of this past year, they're talking about uh, perhaps moving two drafts into 2022. So having like that 21 uh, and 22 two separate drafts. What what are your thoughts on that? And and do you think that uh, how, how is that going to help you or, you know, perhaps look at players longer or, um, I'm just curious as to what your thoughts are. Yeah. It, I'm not a fan of that idea. Um, I, I get it. I get why they want to do it or I, I get why it's been floated. I think the only evidence that, of any kind that that's actually something they're talking about was Elliot Friedman postulating on TV about it. And that's what he wanted to see. I think that was his phrasing, but, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, if they push it back like they did for the 2020 draft to be at the end of 2021, whatever. Like, if that's what they want to do, perfectly, whatever, go nuts. Uh, it gives me more time to do more data on more guys. But I think that the question I always ask myself when people ask me this question is, what's the point of doing so? Because mm -hmm, yeah. I think I think what the teams are thinking they're going to get out of it is not what they're actually going to get out of it. Like their thinking is, well, they're not they're, we don't we can't go to the rinks and we can't see them play. Well, okay. So next season, are you going to then say to your scouts, okay, you got to watch not only the guys that are draft eligible for 2021, but also 2022. And now you have to you have to you have to make notes on this guy, this guy, this guy and this guy. You know, you you're going to have to probably watch more games. You might have to do more video work because you're just the volume is just going to be double and especially if you're looking at what the guys are doing now and throwing it out because you can't be at the rink i mean i'm just one guy in a basement and i watch video and i feel like i have a pretty decent grasp on what's out there not not a perfect grasp uh and i think that this year regardless of whether it's now or tomorrow or in six months or in 2025 like it's going to be greasy. It's going to be sketchy. There's going to be stuff all over the draft. That's going to be interesting. Like there are players who have barely played this season. And when they have played, they, they look much, much worse than their cohort. And, and you, it's hard to say that that's a permanent thing, but, but sifting through that is, is really tough. Um, so in my view, I think we have to look at the 2021 draft as like an enigmatic weirdo sideshow where you have to rely on video because you have no other option. Otherwise, you're just making your scouts do way more work next year. You're probably going to spend way more money sending them everywhere. Uh, when in reality right now, you know, even if doing video predominantly and interviewing through video is 80% as effective, you're still also saving a ton of money. And, and that's kind of what they're in the business of doing these days is saving money. I, I don't, I just don't see how it makes sense. And the other thing that I thought about that was pointed out to me was, you know, let's say you're Seattle and you're banking on a top draft pick this year. Let's say you have the first overall pick. Are you as the league going to deprive the Seattle Kraken of 
a potential impact player. You know, I know people are saying that there might not be an impact player available in the draft at the high end this year, but I still look at the players available at the top end and think, well, if one can crack the Seattle Kraken roster, then you're <laughs> yeah. then how how fair is it to deprive them of that just because your scouts can't get viewings in? I mean, if Seattle wants to move the draft and such, fine. Like I'm not in a position to tell the NHL how to do business, but I I just I I think that that idea will not achieve what they think it will, and I think that the scouts who feel that they need all this time are going to be overworked. And then if they push the 2022 draft back to have more time, then what happens to the 2023 group? And if, you know, like it could become just a a big mess when in reality, you kind of have to rely on video being at least moderately useful. I mean, I, 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 I have time for the argument about going to the rinks and having value, but I, I don't think it's as pivotal as some people seem to think it is. It's, it's, it's a thing that you need to do, but I don't think it's the be all end all that will judge whether or not your team can draft properly or not. I guess and also every team's in the same situation there too, right? I mean, it's not like one team has an advantage would have an advantage with it. uh, Right. Being still this year. So, and, and it's a great point about like the cost factor when, I mean, we don't even know if they're going to have many people in the seats next year at all. Um, They're really looking to save money in places. How I mean, they'd need to hire a larger scouting staff and um, that money, like you said, just isn't isn't there. Uh, so they've talked for a long time. I've, I've heard, you know, rumors and this and that about about uh, the possibility of moving to a 19 year old draft from the 18 year old draft. Might this be the the right year other than the Seattle um, the the Seattle thought there? Mm-hmm. Might this be the right year to uh, to maybe say we won't draft this year. We're going to draft next year with the same crop um, as a nineteen year old group. I mean, I mean maybe I, I it I honestly like my honest answer to that is I don't really care. I okay. whether it's whether it's you know. I, I think that what you get out of a 19-year-old draft is you have more runway and you can see players at a higher level of hockey. So say instead of USHL players, a lot of them go to college mm-hmm. or instead of, you know, that, I mean, players are going to be in the OHL and WHL and everything. But, you know, in Europe, a lot of European junior players might play in the European pro leagues and you get to see them at a much higher level of competition. I think overall, it's not going to make a huge difference um, in terms of drafting 18-year-olds versus 19-year-olds. Some guys take three or four years to develop. Um, And generally, when you look at the draft, I mean, the general value that you get out of the draft in terms of players in the NHL, it's a pretty standardized curve from number one through 217. Like, it's not like things are so all over the place, like, uh, say, the baseball draft or even the NFL, which is a different obviously different sports, but the the value at each individual draft slot can wildly vary. Whereas, you know, with the NHL, if they want to move it back and just ignore this group now, sure. I, I don't, I wouldn't, I, there's no real reason not to, but I don't really, you know, I don't really mind. Um, <laughs> but, but because, I mean, it would suck because I'd look at all the data that I've done this year and go, well, I guess I got to throw this in the trash um, and start next season with the exact same players, which, you know, probably wouldn't be very fun. But if it's a one time thing, then whatever. Um, I mean, it also, though, you're also 
like say Shane Wright is coming down the pipe in 2022, he very almost certainly will be an NHL player immediately when he turns 18. Um, so depriving him of a year of his career, you know, it, it's it's a small thing, but mm-hmm. that's a big shift. I think he's working with the expectation that, you know, is going back to the OHL to play for Kingston after he's drafted going to be a detriment to his development because he's already looking like a very, very talented OHL player. Like, is that going to be a detriment to him? I don't know. Uh, again, I don't think it really has that big of a difference, but those are factors that there's going to be sort of, I would say, blowback from from making that kind of a change, especially with the sort of elite, elite talent that's going to be out there, making them wait and potentially lose a year of their NHL career. But that would be a very rare instance looking at how many players get drafted in a year. Okay, thank you. So, and I know we kind of touched on this a bit earlier, but uh, given that we don't seem to have that consensus number one pick in the 2021 draft, although some mm-hmm. people I think, um, you know, have the defenseman there uh, at number one, um, do you uh, you you th- you feel that this this class is weaker than re- recent drafts, or 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 might it be just that 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 number one franchise type player is missing? I th- I think that that sort of um, the the. I think what we're looking at right now is that Quinton Byfield, Alexi Lafreniere, Jack Hughes kind of tier player isn't there. Um, whereas what I think you're getting is a lot of those secondary tier guys. So, you know, like would Lucas Raymond be going first overall in this year's draft? I think that's entirely possible. Um, you know, does Alexander Holtz go first overall in this year's draft, though? I, I don't think so. I think there's other players that I would I would look at before. So I think there's a lot of these sort of guys who could be very good second line players or solid first line players that won't, you know, score a hundred points in a year, uh, kind of guys that are available. But I, I also think that this year's draft is going to be, I, I think in terms of the depth of talent, I think around the 50 to 60th pick is when I start to sort of go, I don't know who to take. Like there's, there's guys that I like, but I'm not over the moon about most of these guys. There's there's traits of their game that I like, whereas last year it felt like that was more around the 70, 80, 90 range-ish, uh, where it started to fall, it off, fall off a little. But I am really interested in a lot of players this year. I think, I think it's a decent draft in terms of breadth of talent. I think there are some good defenders that you could get outside of the first round, even um, really reliable, dependable guys that, that show some interesting traits. Um, but in terms of real high end, high end for sure bets, I think that's where it lacks. And I think people also look at the 2019 and 2020 draft and then look at this year's draft and they don't see the same level of high, high end talent and just go, well, then this draft must be crap. When in reality, it might be more of a, you know, 20, like maybe a 2017 draft where you end up with names like uh, Elias Pettersson and Miro Haskinen kind of getting drafted and flying under the radar. Um, I I think that that seems possible. Uh, But yeah, in terms of the super, super high end, I don't, I don't think there's any of that this year, but there's a lot of other things that are interesting. Yeah, it it just seems you get like the you get the the guys that are on the Clark bandwagon or the Power bandwagon, the or the Hughes bandwagon, right? And 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 even Edvinson. So um, yeah, it should be interesting for sure. Mm-hmm. 
And it's interesting that you brought up that 2017 draft. And I remember at the time, some people saying it was weaker and stuff, but now you look back at it and, and you got have guys like uh, Martin Nikat and Martin Nichas and uh, Robert Thomas and some, a lot of guys that are very good players um, that came out of that uh, draft in the, in the mid teens and, and stuff. So mm-hmm. yeah, uh, you could see that again this year. That's interesting. Okay. Uh, do you so talking about the draft and then I I'm watching your stuff uh, and following your stuff. I know that you recap things like the World Juniors and and prospects that are that are already been have already been drafted. Uh, do you focus more on players that are draft eligible or on prospects that have been drafted? It's predominantly draft eligibles. I mean, my my meat and potatoes is the draft. Uh, what I will do is keep tra- keep tabs on drafted guys. So part of my Patreon campaign, there is a, a data sheet that you can you can pay into where I have 31 different lists of players that have been drafted and it just it just feeds in their data uh, from all all the leagues they play in. So you can sort of keep tabs on, you know, which teams have groups of prospects that might be performing better than others and and all that fun stuff. Um, so I, but but the predominant focus, at least for the data work, is draft eligibles. I do do some video uh, and data work on guys who have been drafted and are now in the NHL and seeing how their game has translated to that point. Um, and that's been kind of very interesting for me. But generally, you know, other than just keeping tabs on draft el- or uh, players who have been drafted, you know, like sometimes during my live streams, I'll get people being like, hey, have you seen this guy playing in the AHL? Have you seen this? Have you seen this? He's looking good, blah, blah, blah. And I'll make note of those guys and check it out and just watch them for a bit. But it's nothing close to me sort of sitting for hours and just watching draft eligibles over and over and over again. I'm like, I'm up near 300 games of those guys now. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's very heavily weighed in that direction. Okay, thank you. So, so essentially, what you're telling me is now you're going to have to start following all the Colonials prospects. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Eh? Um, so, yes. And speaking of the World Junior Championships, uh, obviously we're, we're we're a little bit out from that now. But uh, what were your and and I'll, I'll just put you on the spot here. What were your your thoughts on the tournament? I mean, I'm glad that they that they that they made it through in the bubble, and it was pretty exciting to see some of the games and. Uh, and uh, any, from from your perspective, any standouts or any surprises? I mean, I, I, yeah, I mean, it was a really, really interesting tournament. I mean, I was really surprised with a lot of stuff, both good and bad. I mean, I really thought that Russian team was going to be a really hard team to beat. They were in a really tough group uh, and they finished second in that group. But, you know, I, I expected a little bit more of them in the in the playoff rounds. But they all they just seemed really disjointed and had a hard time sort of taking control of games and, you know, settling down and, and just sort of going out and executing. But, you know, I, I thought the U.S. team, I was pretty surprised to find out after the tournament that there were people saying that the U.S. team wasn't really looking like a team that could win the tournament. But, I mean, that to me didn't, it didn't surprise me that they put Canada on their heels. I felt that Canada in this tournament, you know, they get away with a lot. They 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 grind out a lot of wins, barely, but they win. Um, you know, they, they've, they've had to go to a lot of shootouts and overtimes and all this stuff over the years and just claw out wins. And when you have a fast, exciting U S team full of potential star talent in the NHL, uh, that put Canada on their heels with speed and passing, 
and, and pace, it was really impressive to watch. So, you know, I, I really enjoyed watching that U.S. team pretty much top to bottom. Um, guys like John Jason Paterka were really surprising to me for the German team. Like Tim Stutzler came as advertised. Everyone knows he's great. So there you go. But Paterka fit in perfectly with him. He looked great. Uh, you know, there was a lot of things that I was really interested in. I mean, Anton Lundell, people saying that the offense wasn't quite there with him when he was draft eligible. I mean, I, I felt that there were some things that might limit his offensive ability, but I mean, he showed that when you go from playing against men for almost two or three full seasons to going back and playing against children, uh, it it's a big step down. And for a big guy like that, who can, who can get a good head of steam and has some good, you know, good finishing instincts. Like he looked pretty good. Um, so yeah, I, I thought overall it was a really interesting tournament. I, I think that you know the the best of the best teams were kind of in a class of their own. Um, but I, I always love the tournament because teams like Finland and even the Czech Republic and and Slovakia just come out and battle. Like they they went out and fought every single game they played. Uh, the Finns earned themselves a medal. I think I'm pretty sure they won the bronze over the Russians. Um, and and and. They earned it. You know, I like watching these teams of, of, of junior players earning what they get. You know, like there's obviously teams that are favorited, um, but, you know, they, they go out and fight. I mean, the Slovakians kept Canada close. Um, you know, at the, so did the Swiss, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong, but uh, it was it was a good tournament overall and, and certainly, you know, headlined by some real star power for sure. Mm-hmm. No, and and I thought the German team just that almost like almost like a Cinderella story, right? Where you yeah. get a whole whack of COVID, they you know they lose sixteen to two to Canada, and and they just mm-hmm. and they, and they they push and they push and they push and they get their team back, and then all of a sudden they're in the in the quarterfinal, right? So yeah, that was pretty exciting. So that was an incredible story. Yeah, but it would have been wonderful to see what they could have done with Cider there too. I mean, they're they're, yeah. they're missing their the best maybe the best player. In Germany, right? Yeah, uh, that's that's a junior player right now, and and they're number one not goalie. Junior, he's playing pro, but <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, okay, so how far out from a draft do you start tracking players? Is it uh, their their draft year or D minus one, D minus two? Mm-hmm. So for draft out, I, I with with the data tracking, it's always just draft eligibles. I okay. just am interested in the data when they play. Um, the, the, the guys that are a year out, two years out, I think is, is too far. I, I don't, I think there's way too much runway to go. If you're two seasons out from the draft that it's really tough to gauge. Um, but you know, a year out, what I've started doing this year is just watching guys who are eligible next year and making note of the 2022s who have stuck out when I've watched 2021s and, Mm -hmm. you know, making a list of those guys so that, when they start playing next season, I know where to start and I know kind of the direction I want to go. So that's generally the trend. But in terms of, you know, looking at the NHL draft, I want to see the year that the player is eligible, you know, where are they at the start of the year? Where are they at the end of the year? And what's the overall picture of the player right now? Because, you know, a lot changes with teenagers. So I feel like mixing data from a year prior with data from the year now is really sketchy territory especially when guys might go from playing i don't know um prep school hockey or junior a or you know whatever you want to call it to playing an ohl team or playing on a ushl team or even going to college like those things can be pretty big jumps and there can be changes in the data that might kind of surprise you and Mm -hmm. might kind of change your read so i just like to focus on all right 
the guys are playing on this team this season and then they get drafted. So what's the what's the story? And then just going from there. Okay, maybe a follow up to that one. So I know with so with the U.S. national team, they're playing USHL uh, teams and then they're playing uh, um, college teams. Uh, do you use both sets of data for when you're when you're tracking them and when you're when you're showing their their data, or are you just using USHL or just college? That those are trickier. Uh, I definitely try to be broad so uh the trickiest ones are europeans where they might be playing pro one day right. and then back in the junior league a week later um i think it's important to get you know we'll, we'll stick with the ntdp because you brought them up mm -hmm. i i prefer to see a mix of ushl and college i think that you i i kind of the way i see it is predominantly you want to see them where the players are probably most comfortable, which to me would be the USHL. They're an under 20 under 18 team playing against under 20 competition. And when they play college teams, that's the real test. But I kind of want to get a bigger sample of when they're sort of in their comfort zone. And then if they're still in that comfort zone against college teams or their, their data doesn't take too big of a hit against college teams, that's when I'm interested but sometimes there are players who show really well against the USHL and you can kind of see things in their game where you're going, all right, when you have bigger and stronger and faster opponents and the game's moving by quicker, I can see how there might be problems. So that's when I definitely want to look at them against college teams that are older, more experienced, they're faster, they work harder. No offense to junior players, but like it's a higher pace. And, uh, and, and that's kind of a barometer to sort of say, all right, you can then go back to the junior and say, here's where things might need some work mm -hmm. and you know and you can say well there's there's a you know there's a test here and you know you can't draw any specific conclusions but you can definitely get hints at you know what might be an issue down the road or you know what what patterns there are um so i i i try to mix in a little bit of that higher end competition um there are some players where it's impossible to avoid like rodion amirov last year was a great example he played at three different levels of hockey uh so some of my data was junior some of his data was against men in the second division in russia and some of his data was in the khl and the interesting thing about him was consistently he was pretty much identical regardless of what level he was playing at he was identical um so that was always that was very promising to me it's you know regardless of where he's playing this is the type of player that he's able to be. And that's kind of where I'm interested as well. Uh, whereas when there are players who it's like against the end with the NTDP and the USHL, they look really good and they're driving great data, but then they go and play even a middling level NCAA program and they get, you know, overwhelmed a little bit. And then you're like, all right, there, there might be some things that need to be worked on. So it, it, it's contextual, but it, it's a mix, I would say as much okay. as I can. Thank you. All right, so now I'm going to ask a, a very similar question in terms of draft eligibles. Are you looking at or tracking any 2022 uh, draft eligibles, and should I be excited about 2023's Matt Faye Mischkoff as a, oh, a bonus? <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So t I will say 2022 does have, I think, more real high-end talent that you can build a team around, like. I don't think there's anyone this year that you draft and you say, this is a guy that's going to be on all our billboards. This is a franchise player. Mm -hmm. I, I don't think that's there. Not that, and that's a hot, that's a high bar. Um, you know, whereas next year, I, I think that there's at least 
three of them available. I'm looking at Shane Wright, Brad Lambert, Matthew Savoy. Uh, Ivan Muroshnyshenko, I think, could be a tremendous scoring forward uh, in the NHL one day. Just so, so much fun to watch. Um, Matt Vabuchkov is a 2023, like you mentioned, but he's a spectacular player. Um, you know, one of the better goal scorers that's come around in a long time, I think. Um, you know, but again, like that's two years away, so I'm going to let the development come, but he's playing mm-hmm. at the MHL level now for a very good program and he's doing extremely well. Uh, so I'm all for it. You know, I haven't done any tracking for 2022s yet, but I have, gone out of my way recently in the last month, I'd say, to sort of just build a rough list. And I'm looking at, you know, in terms of players that I'd prioritize, at least of a first round of guys that have really been impressive when I've caught them. Um, And I can't say the same for the 2021 group when I I did the same thing last year. It just wasn't really on the same level. And this doesn't even include guys who are in the OHL or the WHL because I haven't seen them play. So, you know, the NTDP has a lot of really interesting guys for next year. Slovakia has a few really talented players. Um, You know, there's a lot of really interesting talent out there for next season's draft. And I mean, I don't want to say that I'm excited to be done with 2021 and move on to 2022, but it does look like a bit more of an exciting group with some real high-end talent, whereas this year you might get good players and real nice core pieces. Um, But, you know, I found myself this year tracking a lot of guys and just kind of wanting a little bit more out of them, to be honest. But, But there's a lot of things that have gone into this season that might be a factor into that. So I'm not, again, I'm not on the team of like, this draft is terrible, but for 2022, the list that I've got based on what I've seen of these guys has been really, really promising for sure. So for the GMs that will be listening to this podcast later on, you're basically read between the lines, Will, saying that this year's crop is going to be really good. You want to trade for my pick for your 2022 picks. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> no, Gary, I will not trade you my 22 picks. Okay. <laughs> All right. So uh, as I said before, your data and information is very valuable. Um, would you be interested uh, in working uh, in the NHL or AHL, CHL? I mean, yeah, I, I started the goal. I mean, like the reason I started all this is like there was some stuff in my in my personal life that really sort of affected how I think about myself and 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 life in general and I just kind of said to myself that I don't I, I kind of will just do work that I want to do in in my spare time you know I'll I'll keep my job and everything and not go completely off the wagon but like I want to like if I if I think to myself I want to win a Stanley Cup that's a that's a crazy goal to have but it, there's nothing, there's no book that says, there's no law that says I can't do that. Yeah. And if my avenue to that is through data analysis, watching as much hockey as I can, learning as much as I can, networking with people as much as I can, you know, and the ultimate goal being working in the league, yes, absolutely, I would do it. Um, you know, I, if, I mean, if some guy from Finland who lives in the middle of nowhere runs a, a Finnish second division pro team and he calls me and says, hey, you want to run our, you want to help run the team. I'm moving to Finland. I, I don't care. Um, I, I want to see what happens. Um, so yes, the answer would, would be absolutely to that. Um, so far, whatever I, 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 there are people who are, you know, if the thing I've been told is if you put stuff out there, the right people are, are, are watching and reading it. Um, and in my experience, 
it's it's been a really nice blessing to have people reach out who you know work in the league or work in the chl or work in the ahl or whatever and 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 are willing to give feedback and that's really valuable because you have to respect their opinion you know it's easy to look at people in hockey and go oh they're old and archaic and this and this and this but you still you know even if you believe that which personally i i don't always believe that you have to get on their level and learn how to chat with them and 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 just chat with them casually and talk and learn how to walk the walk so to speak and and apply yourself in in a unique way um that that is that is attractive um so it's a long road uh i'm extremely happy to do what i'm doing you know running a patreon campaign i have a great community of people who support me um you know i the youtube channel is great but I'd be lying if I said I wanted to be running a YouTube channel when I was 45 years old, uh, you know, when I'm 45 years old, you know, trying to, to make a living doing it. Uh, my, my ultimate goal is, is to win the, win the frickin' cup. And the only way to do that is to get hired. So hopefully one day, but just not today. I love it. Yeah, no, that's awesome. And, uh, and speaking of, uh, of contacts, I noticed that uh, over the last year, I, I believe you, you became a contributor with McKean's. I don't know if, if, if started this past year or uh so and if so what is it that you're you've been doing with them yeah so last for year our listeners yeah Sorry. last year they reached out um and they they wanted to take their website in a bit more of a modern direction and and add some new people to sort of do that and they they asked me right off the bat um and and i i was interested i i've always been you know, looking for ways to grow my business and, and they're a good way of doing that. So, uh, how it was pitched to me was basically taking my videos and making written work around them. So this started for the 2020 season. So I wrote up, it was basically the notes that went into my videos, but expanded into a full length written piece. So I'd finish the video and send it in and, and they basically put a blog post up, um, with the written work that I did. Um, and, and I put that up on my website as well for patrons who, who would like to read expanded thoughts on what goes on in the video. So that's the basics of what I'm doing there. And then recently they've approached me about doing more. Uh, so a big thing I've really been fascinated with is what a, a series I'm calling, uh, what actually happened to, which is basically a, a, a written article series of, me going back in time and finding guys who outperformed or underperformed their draft slot. So the first example was Leah Sanderson, who was drafted top 10 by the Rangers. Um, everyone was kind of surprised when he was drafted that high. His career obviously has not quite gone the way you'd think a top 10 pick would. Uh, and I wanted to know why. You know, it's it's very easy to just call a player a bust and call a player a failure and, and all those negative things. Um, but it's important, in my view, to understand exactly what it was that happened. People were throwing theories out there about him being, you know, bullied or him being buried on his depth chart and all these different things. But I wanted to sort of say, all right, but like as a hockey player, what is going on and what happened? And doing that with the guys that I've done it with so far, the three ones I've done are uh, Leah Sanderson, Oliver Wallstrom with the Islanders and Mario Ferraro with the with the Sharks. And Mario Ferraro is one who was drafted in the second round and is now an NHL player. And he was very unexpected to be that at this point. So again, I wanted to know what it was that brought him along so quickly. And with the other two, I wanted to know what was sort of holding them back. 
Um, and that's been a really, really fascinating experience that that has really sort of colored the work that I'm doing for drafts now. Um, because there are, in my view, there were traits with all of those players that indicate potential and and potential red flags. So the fact that they were willing to let me sort of run rampant with that and and go with it and do one a month, at least that's what I'm trying to do, is is really good. And I'm really, really happy they've given me that opportunity. Uh, and then, yeah, and the other thing I'm doing for them is is rookie reports. So like I said, sometimes I'll track NHL rookies. Um, my most recent one was Alexander Romanov with the Habs, and I'll do the exact same thing and just do a little write-up with it, give them the video early, and it'll go up there. So they, they've been really, really generous with giving me opportunities to try new ideas um, with sort of the data aspect baked in. Uh, and and I've I've really enjoyed it so far, and it and I'm glad to be a part of it. It's it's my second season. Um, hopefully, it's not my last. Uh, and yeah, so definitely looking forward to putting more up there as I start putting out more videos before the draft this year. Well, that's that's awesome, and, and thanks for sharing. And and like I say, I've I've viewed a few of those articles, and uh, and and hopefully, I don't see any any of my prospects that are going to be bust <laughs> that you're going to be reporting on. So yeah, we'll see. <laughs> We'll see. I've already got, I already got a few of them, and I'm pretty sure Daniel Sprong is going to be that next one. But oh, <laughs> not not Daniel Sprong. <laughs> <laughs> As I said earlier, people can find you on Twitter at Scouching, and of course on the internet at www.scouching.ca. Um, we just found out uh, that you're also, of course, with McKean's and and uh, and on YouTube. Anywhere else uh, we can find you, Will? Yeah, uh, you can basically, I mean, you mentioned them all, basically. Twitter and YouTube is a great start. Scouching.ca is also great. Uh, if you want to financially support the project and get some perks, you can sign up uh, at patreon.com slash scouching. Uh, there's lots and lots of different tiers with lots and lots of different features you can check out. Uh, so that's also worth looking at. I mean, I also have an Instagram account. It's not super active, uh, but that's scouching underscore will. Uh, but that's pretty much it. And then the, the McKean's work as well. Fantastic. And is there a level on Patreon where you will uh, basically run a, uh, a uh, SICHL um, prospect uh, <laughs> group? Um, I know that uh, we'd have a couple GMs that might be quite interested in that and, and taking the title in the future. We'll, we'll negotiate. We'll, yeah. we'll, I'll get my people to talk to your people and we'll figure <laughs> we'll figure out an agreement. Perfect. But now, when you do become famous, remember this podcast. Uh, puck- <laughs> we don't call it podcast; we call it the podcast. So, right now, we appreciate right. you, we appreciate having you on today, Will. Um, I'm glad, like I say, you 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 know you you decided that you'd come on. I I, I thought there was some great uh, chat and and some great insights on uh, on uh, different uh, different things here. So, yeah, it was a great time, guys. Thank you very much. Yeah, Will you're very coach. welcome. Will Scouch from uh, Scouching and uh, and Gary Graves, of course, GM of the Boston Colonials. Thanks very much, guys. Thanks. Take care. All right. Thanks again to all of our guests today on the podcast. Of course, Kazim Hussein, GM of the Montreal Millionaires, Gary Graves, GM of the Boston Colonials, and Will Scouch of Scouching.ca and Scouching. If you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, just DM me on Twitter at SICHL Rockies, or as well, if you have any ideas for the podcast, we'd love to hear them. Okay, bye for now, everyone.